I brought my breakfast to Champions here, and I see Valerie Trapp. She was here this week with our NTI program. She's been leading that. But when I brought this in, she thought that this was my breakfast, Wheaties, and that I was going to use Coke as the milk, I guess, for the Wheaties. I'm not doing that this morning. No, Coca-Cola, I have a Coke up here because the Coca-Cola company has this goal and this task of trying to get a Coke in arm's reach of every single person on the planet. Wow, that's quite a goal, isn't it? To have a Coke in arm's reach of 7 billion people, and yet year after year, Coke has made huge strides towards accomplishing this goal. And part of the reason why is because the people at the Coca-Cola company are passionate about their product. There's something good about this sugary water inside of here. Personally, I'm a Coke fan, don't know about you, but I love this stuff. But you may have noticed that I said that Coca-Cola is the second most recognizable symbol in the world. The most recognizable symbol in the world still remains to be the cross. Isn't that pretty awesome? The cross. But the problem is there are many people who still do not know what the cross means or the power that it has. So even though it's the most recognizable symbol in the world, there's many people who still don't have it in arm's reach. And you know, really, our mission is not very much different than that of Coca-Cola's. Our mission, though, is to join God in his purpose of redeeming a people within every peoples of the world who love and who will obey him. To join God, this is our task, to join God in his divine purpose of redeeming a people within every people who will love and obey him. And I want you to hear that this morning in this psalm, Psalm 67. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Our goal is to join God in this purpose of redeeming a people within every people who will love and obey him. And last week, we taught that the consistent teaching throughout the whole council of scriptures is that God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. And that certainly and definitely applies to our generosity, but it far extends beyond just our generosity. We have been blessed by God to be a blessing to others. And you can see that in this psalm, can't you? I love the way it ends. Verse 7, may God bless us still. His mercies, the, the word says, are new every single morning. May God bless us still. We have been blessed so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The blessing that God has given us by redeeming us is so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The psalmist deeply longed for God to be known as Lord and Savior among every peoples of the earth. And we should do and want nothing less. We play the role as mediators in this divine task of proclaiming God's name to the nations. This has been God's purpose from the very beginning, and it still continues to be his purpose. But the question is, is it happening in your own life? Are you joining God in this divine purpose? 
The Coca-Cola company may be trying to get a Coke in arm's reach of every person on the planet, but church, we have a much higher and far more weightier task to join God in redeeming a people within every people who will love and obey Him. And that task is not finished. There are people who do not know what the cross means or the power that it has. The Coca-Cola company would never say, you know, we've reached enough. Our numbers were high enough. Our sales were pretty good this year. No, the Coca-Cola company would say there's more to be reached. And church, let it never be said of us that they were more passionate about their sugary water than the church is about Jesus. You may remember from five weeks ago, I preached a message on the first chapter of the book of Jonah, and I asked this sobering question. If Plum Creek were to close its doors and no longer operate, would anyone notice? Would they even care? And then I went on to share ways that I saw the church starting to fall asleep just like the prophet Jonah. Things like being worried, things like being concerned about internal affairs, things like being angry or hating those on the outside. We're asleep to our own problems. But what has happened in many churches who have fallen asleep and some who have gone so far to close their doors is those churches have settled. They've settled for good enough. Jeff Henderson, he's the lead minister at a pretty large church down in Gwinnett County, Georgia, and he said this, when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. But when your dreams exceed your memories, you pioneer. Let's explore that statement for just a second. What do he mean by saying, when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near? Well, he's talking about living in the past, not being willing to make any changes, being a settler, letting our heritage and the good old days define us. But as I heard a ministry friend of mine say, let the good old days be just that, good old days. Certainly, let us celebrate what God has done in the past here and what he's done in our lives, but don't let us hold so tightly on to those things that we're unwilling to move and make the necessary changes to reach those who are far from God. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying we need to compromise our message. Jesus is the only way to salvation. We cannot teach any other way. There is no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ. There's only one God and Father and Lord of all. We shouldn't give glory to anyone else. We're not talking about compromising our message. The message should never change, but the packaging certainly does. I have up here the Breakfast of Champions, Wheaties, as an illustration for this very purpose. Wheaties in 1934 put their very first fictional character on the box, Jack Armstrong, and here we are on November 15th of 2020, nearing the end of the year, and this is what a modern-day Wheaties box looks like. But you know, if I were to open up this cereal box and begin to pour a bowl of cereal, the contents, what's inside of the cereal, what's inside of the box, I'm sorry, it hasn't changed in those 86 years. Although the packaging, the boxing has, the contents have not changed. There's an old saying that goes like this, methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, principles never do, and our principles should never change, and they don't change if we will hold on to them. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our gospel will never grow irrelevant. Indeed, it is an everlasting gospel. The word of God is the words of eternal life. That's part of its beauty. However, the methods... The methods we've used through the years, they can become and grow outdated. And when we settle and get caught up in the methods instead of in the mission, the end is near. 
We're living in the past. But when we allow our principles and the dreams of completing God's task to lead the way, we pioneer. We take great strides to explore and reach unreached and untouched areas. We dream of the possibilities of what it might look like to accomplish God's mission in this century. One of the great pioneers of the Christian faith was a fellow by the name of William Carey. Christians today know him as the father of modern-day missions. And leading up to Carey, from the Protestant Reformation on until William Carey, the church of those days were really only concerned about internal things. The Protestant Reformation did a lot of good for the kingdom of God, but one of the sad things that came out of it is the church grew so inward-focused. Any kind of evangelism that the church of those days did was something we call today sheep-stealing. In other words, it was the Baptists trying to convert the Methodists, the Presbyterians trying to convert Anglicans and get them to come over to their church. There was no concept of going out and reaching lost people, especially overseas, until William Carey comes along. He was a poor part-time preacher and shoemaker, and in the late 1700s, he was at a convention of Baptist ministers, and he was up sharing this heart and this passion to go overseas and reach these people who've never even heard of the gospel, and how the church should rise to the occasion and pioneer. And as he was speaking, a Baptist, old Baptist minister stood up and sternly said, you, he said this, you, I'm sorry, I just lost my place here. He said, young man, Sit down. You're an enthusiast. If God chooses to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. In other words, he was saying, God God doesn't need or want you to go and reach lost people. Could you imagine a preacher saying, God doesn't want you to go and reach people who are far from him? But praise be to God for pioneers of the faith like William Carey. And also, praise be to God for men like Genya, who you were able to hear right before I spoke this morning, pioneers of the faith who took the word of God into a tongue and a language where it had never been before. See, you and I today, I think we take advantage of the fact and take for granted of the fact that we have so many accesses to the word of God. I mean, we can pull out our phones and, and look up any verse we want to in no time, or our laptops, and, and even though most of us don't use the book version anymore, we've got all kinds, don't we? And not just many accesses. We've got multiple translations in the English. We've got the King James, the New King James, the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, the NIRV, the MSG. It goes on and on and on in the English language. And there are some peoples who don't have a single verse in their native tongue of God's Word. Praise be to God that He has worked on the heart of men and women and is still working on the heart of men and women like Genia and his team who did not settle for good enough, but pioneered for the faith. But the question remains, are you joining God in his ultimate purpose? Are you a pioneer or are you a settler? As a part of the perspectives course I was able to take last spring, uh, one of the instructors shared this poem that I'm about to read with you. It's called Settler Theology versus Pioneer Theology. And by the way, if I can just put a plug in here for perspectives, and I think 
since I've taken that class in the spring, either I have mentioned that course every time I've preached or I've taken material from that course and used it in my messages. It comes to you very highly recommended. It is worth the time and investment. And it's coming again in spring 2021. And here at Plum Creek, we're helping to offset the financial cost of that. So it is worth your time. Definitely sign up for that course. But in the course, um, one of the instructors gave this poem and it was quite convicting for me personally. And it goes like this. If you're in the room with me, this is actually printed inside of your program and you can read along. There are two visions of life, two kinds of people. The first see life as a possession to be carefully guarded. They are called settlers. The second see life as a wild, fantastic, explosive gift. They are called pioneers. These two lives give rise to two kinds of theology. Settler theology attempts to answer all the questions, housebreak some sort of supreme being, and maintain the status quo. Pioneer theology attempts to explore the strange gift of life. The Wild West is the setting. In settler theology, the church is the courthouse, the center of town life. The old stone structure dominates the town square. Within its walls, records are kept, taxes collected. The courthouse is the settler's symbol of law, order, and most importantly, security. In pioneer theology, the church is the covered wagon, a house on wheels, always on the move. It bears the marks of a pioneer's life. It creaks, it's scarred with arrows, bandaged in bailing wire. The covered wagon is always where the action is. It isn't comfortable, but the pioneers don't mind. They're much more into adventure than they are into comfort. In settler theology, God is the mayor. No one knows him directly, but there's order in the town. He's predictable and always on schedule. The settlers fear the mayor, but look to him to keep things going. Peace and quiet are the main concerns. That's why he sends the sheriff into town to check on the pioneers. In pioneer theology, God is the trail boss. He lives, eats, sleeps, and fights with and for his people. Without him, the wagon would not move. He gets down in the mud with the pioneers to help push the wagon, which often gets stuck. He prods the pioneers when they get soft and want to turn back. In settler theology, Jesus is the sheriff sent by the mayor to enforce the rules. He wears a white hat, outdraws the bad guy, and decides who to throw into jail. In pioneer theology, Jesus is the scout. He rides ahead to find out where the, which way the pioneers should go. He lives all the dangers of the trail. By looking to the scout, those on the trail learn what it means to be a pioneer. In settler theology, the Holy Spirit is the saloon girl. Her job is to comfort the settlers. They come to her when they feel lonely or when life gets dull or dangerous. She makes everything okay again. In pioneer theology, the Holy Spirit is the buffalo hunter. He's a sort of a wild man. Pioneers can never tell what he will do next. He rides into town to shake up the settlers. You see, every Sunday morning, the settlers have a little ice cream social party at the courthouse. With gun in his hand, the buffalo hunter sneaks up and rattles the whole building. In settler theology, the Christian is the settler. He avoids the open, unknown frontier. His concerns is to stay on good terms with the mayor and to keep out of the sheriff's way. Safety first is the motto. To him, the courthouse is a symbol of security, peace, order, and happiness. The settler never misses an ice cream social party. In pioneer theology, the Christian is the pioneer. He's a man of daring hunger for new life. The pioneer feels sorry for the settler and tries to tell them of the joy and fulfillment of the life on the trail. He dies with his boots on. In settler theology, the preacher is the banker. Within his vaults are locked the values of the town. He's a highly respected man. He feels that he and the sheriff have a lot in common. 
In pioneer theology, the clergyman or the preacher is the cook. He never confuses his job with that of the trail boss, the scout, or the buffalo hunter. He sees himself as just another pioneer whose job is to help the pioneers pioneer. In settler theology, faith is trusting the safety of the town, obeying the laws, keeping your nose clean. In pioneer theology, faith is the spirit of adventure, the readiness to move out, to risk everything on the trail in obedience to the restless voice of the trail boss. Wow. It's pretty powerful and prophetic, isn't it? First time I heard this, I realized that my theology or my way of thinking about God and the church and its mission looks more like settler theology than pioneer theology, but praise be to God that we have a life of adventure. There's far more enjoyment and fulfillment in the life that is truly life, the life in Christ of joining God in His purpose. And so I say this morning, let us keep pioneering for the faith, taking ground for the kingdom of God because there is work that is still to be done. God's ultimate purpose has yet to find its completion. On a global perspective, the task that still remains is going to require men and women who will pioneer for the faith. According to the Joshua Project, which is an organization that exists to define the remaining task, they say that there exists some 7,413 unreached people groups. What's a people group? Well, it's the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church-planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So in other words, it's a group of people who don't have the resources, whether that be a Bible in their own language, enough men and women, or even a church among their people. And so the people who are part of that people group simply have not heard the gospel. We're not talking about people who have heard the gospel and have rejected. No, we're talking about people who have not heard. And as Romans says, how will they hear unless someone tells it to them? unless someone goes. Just a little perspective, within those 7,413 unreached people groups exist some 3.23 billion people. That's about 41.6% of the world population that do not have the cross and arms reach. We have some pioneering to do. The task is unfinished. But Plum Creek, it's not just a global unfinished task. It's a local unfinished task. This movement of joining God and his purpose of redeeming a people within every people includes the people in our own backyard. And it has to start with us. Those of you in these seats, those of you watching online, we have to become passionate about the mission, passionate about the lost, passionate about pioneering for the faith, seeing to it that we are doing whatever we possibly can with the resources, the gifts, and the talents that we have been given, the blessings that we've been given by God to bless others. Within a 15-minute drive from our church, there exist roughly 20,000 lost people, people who do not attend church, who are not Christ followers, who are not loving and obeying God. We have an unfinished task right here. And we as a church, and you specifically as a part of the church, have a responsibility in this. Don't forget these words from 2 Corinthians that says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And when this says we, it means yes, we corporately as a church, but it means you specifically as a part of the body of Christ have a personal responsibility to do whatever you can in your individual setting to advance the gospel message. 
So when it comes to finishing the unfinished global task, whether you will actually go on the global mission field or support the global mission field through prayer, through giving, through sending, through educating yourself or others, you have a responsibility. But listen, just because you're not going, and I recognize most people in this room may not go, although there may be some, but although you're not going, it doesn't mean you get to pass the buck. The field is ripe for the harvest. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask then the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, and it will require men and women who will pioneer for the faith, take ground for the kingdom of God. And so we need to be a church who's mission-minded, global mission-minded, who is committed to this global task continuing to give, continuing to pray, continuing to sin, continuing to educate ourselves and others. But remember, we have an unfinished local task. I'll say this about this global pandemic that we're in right now. I know it has caused a a lot of harm in, in many ways, but one thing that it has done for the good and for the kingdom of God is that every week our services are streamed on live on Facebook and YouTube. There are people watching right now. And so that means that our services are going on the worldwide web. And we had the potential to reach people that we would have never reached before. Potentially people are listening and watching right now. Before, we were limited to the number of people who could fit in this room within our two services. But now, the potential to reach people we've never reached before is there. But there also exists a need. Right now, our worship team has a need of people who are willing to be pioneers for the faith, who are willing to not settle, but, but either who have or are willing to learn the skills to help film and stream our services so that we can continue to reach people we've never reached before. But that need doesn't just exist in our worship ministry. It also exists in our kids and student ministries. See, our kids and students ministries are, are very passionate about the next generation, And we do a lot of work for our community and for our neighbors. But if the people in this room and those of you watching online don't choose to invest in the next generation now, they won't have the cross within arm's reach. We'll lose them. And you know what gets me excited about investing in the next generation? Who knows, there may be a preschool kid sitting back in our kid's town right now doing their craft, who very well may be the very next Bible translator to translate the Bible into a language where it never existed before. There may be a group of kids playing a game right now in our kids' town who very well may lead a coalition of people to take that staggering 7,413 unreached people groups and bring it down to less than 1,000. But unless the people in this room choose not to settle and choose to pioneer, that will not happen. We need people who are not going to settle, but pioneer. And today, you can do that. If you're in the room with me, you'll see within your program is, a, is an insert of different serving opportunities in our worship and, and kids' ministry, and also some learning opportunities, ways that you can learn about the global unfinished task. But if you're watching online, or even if you're in the room, you can go to plumcreek.org backslash serve and see all of those different serving and learning opportunities, ways for you to pioneer in the faith right here, to not settle for good enough. This morning, before I finish, I want you to see something. 
about this task that's unfinished. This morning, we've talked about the what of the task. The task is to join God in his purpose of redeeming a people within every people who love and obey him. We've talked about the who of the task, the unfinished task, the people who still need to be reached, but also that we, as pioneers of the faith, we're going to be the ones who need to take it there. But now we need to look at the how of the task. How is this going to be accomplished? And in order to show this to you, first I want you to see the vision and the picture that's painted for us in God's Word. The Apostle John gets this beautiful picture. Oh man, I'm envious of John. And he writes this. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white with palm branches in their hands, and saying and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the vision. The beautiful picture of a redeemed people clothed in white, among every people loving and obeying God. But what I want you to catch on to this morning is this. This vision and this purpose, it will happen. It's not something I have good vibes about, wishful thinking, maybe, hopefully, just one day. This vision, this purpose, it is sure to come. Check out this truth from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Church, Jesus is the greatest pioneer this world has ever seen. He pioneered our faith and your salvation. He went where no one had gone before. He crushed it and accomplished our salvation on the cross. And when he rose victoriously three days later. But he's more than just our example and Lord and Savior. He's also the perfecter of our faith. And what that tells me and you is this. This ultimate purpose of God will be completed. It is a sure thing. See, the Coca-Cola company, if they want to accomplish their task and their goal, they're dependent on human efforts. Good marketing skills, clever advertising, slick and efficient manufacturing processes, dependent on human efforts. Now I'll say all those things are great and will be great for the kingdom of God. But we're not dependent on human efforts. You and I, we have something more than the Coca-Cola company has. Our mission is God-given and we have the promise of an infinite omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, omniscient God and we have the person of Jesus. This is God's mission. We just simply get to come along for the ride. So it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. You know, that gives me a lot of joy. Because just like my salvation, it doesn't rest on me and what I'm able to accomplish. And so it is with this task that God has given us. Our faith is not dependent on do this and, and don't do that. Our faith says it has been done for you. And so it is with this task set before us. It will be done one day the question remains, are you willing to join God in his mission or are you going to sit idly by? Are you going to settle 
or are you going to pioneer? I want to encourage you with these words from Hebrews chapter 12. If we are going to be pioneers of the faith, three things we need to do. Look at this, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, or lose heart. If we're going to be pioneers of the faith, there are three things this text says we need to do. First, we need to throw off everything that hinders. And if that's a sin that's entangling your life, you need to throw it off. Anything standing in the way, it is a weight and it needs to be laid aside, thrown off. But the second thing this text says we need to do is we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That means that every part of our life needs to be aligned with who Jesus is. We need to constantly be looking to him as the example and who we should be following. But as we're looking and fixing our eyes on Jesus, we also need to look back and consider him. Consider what he has already done for us. Consider how he accomplished our salvation on the cross. And we're going to do that right now during our time of communion. So if you're watching online at home, you can grab your communion supplies, whatever you have at home that most resembles the cup and the, and the bread. And, and those of you in the room, you can grab that little cup that you grabbed on your way in. And those of you who are professed believers in Christ, I encourage you to participate in this time with us. But those of you in the room, you can take off that clear cellophane layer to get to the wafer. And when Jesus was instituting this meal with his disciples, he took the wafer, the, the bread, it says, and gave thanks for it and broke it, said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in just a moment, we're, we're going to eat the bread. I want you to do that. Break the bread. Remember his body. Consider him who endured the opposition. But then also the cup says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup's the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as after I pray here and we partake in communion, as you're taking the cup, remember the blood of Christ. Consider him, his blood that was shed that accomplished our salvation, the pioneering work that he did for you. Let's consider him by praying. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Indeed, you deserve all the honor, glory, and praise. You are the Most High God who is to be exalted among the nations. And right now, God, we come humbly before your throne to consider him who endured that opposition on our behalf, our pioneer and perfecter of faith, the man, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as we consider him and what he has done, I pray that we'll also look forward to the day when he will accomplish it once and for all and every nation, tribe, tongue, and language will be surrounding your throne, giving you all the honor, glory, and praise.
Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.